My name is John. A lot of people call me Big John. I don't know why. But I'm a big guy. I'm 6'9". And I tell you what, if you can hear me, say, I can. If, man, that was about pitiful. Y'all can hear me. Y'all can't hear me. If you can hear me, say, I can. All right, if you're excited to be here tonight, say, I am. There we go. There we go. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for allowing me to preach. Uh, we moved here, my wife and, and two boys here. We got Bethany in the nursery. We moved here about three and a half, four months ago. And it has been a blessing to be here. I was youth pastor at First Arcadia, First Cross at uh, Mount Carmel Baptist in Cabot, Arkansas, and also uh, Park Hill Baptist in North Little Rock. And so 13 years of youth ministry, and, and I'm here. I'm back in Louisiana. I graduated Louisiana Tech. If I look familiar, I was part of the college ministry. Man, you took me everywhere. Went to Passion, went to uh, ski trips, went to prison, did prison ministry. Just everywhere, Okay. Went to prison. That, that didn't come out right. But, uh, yeah, y'all about left me there a few times. Bus breaking down into prison, that's no joke. But uh, anyway, man, you invested in me and uh, uh, went through faith evangelism training. One of two college students that went through faith evangelism training. So thank you for allowing me to come back and begin to give back, man, to the community. Uh, uh, tonight, if you have your Bible, you, if you turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we'll look at the text there. I'm a little taller than John, so I'm going to lift this mic up. Is that cool? There you I'm, I'm going to pick on you and stuff. So turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'm director of ministries with David and Jerry Abernathy at Rolling Hills Ministries. And uh, we see a lot of different stuff. A few weeks ago, we had a kid who uh, ran away from the children's home here in Ruston. And he ended up, what better place to end up is at Rolling Hills until the sheriff's office came. And then he wasn't too happy about it. But, uh, man, he came, we fed him, we gave him clothes, okay, we prayed with him, and uh, then the sheriff's office came, okay. But uh, this week, this week, there was something that blessed my heart. We had a, a lady, she had four kids, four kids. She was an ER nurse, four kids. She came into the store, and she was wore out, absolutely wore out. She came, she took her cart, it's full of bedding, and linens came, and she was in the, library, uh, in the book section of our store, and she was just bent over. She wasn't looking at books, she was just exhausted. Just, just leaned over and, and started a conversation with her. And she said, said uh, our house burnt down in May. We've been living in a hotel since May. And I've got a voucher and I'm here and I'm picking up some things. She said, we have four kids, four kids. Said, two of the kids that I have right now, their parents who are my family members died in a car wreck in January. Can you imagine? So their house burnt down. She's got four kids living in a hotel She's grieving a family member who's lost, and she's got two kids who, who lost mom and dad, too. And so, man, we gathered up. We gathered up. I don't even know all the cooking stuff. I just like to eat. Uh, we gathered up uh, a griddle. Is that right? Cook pancakes on? Skittle. Skittles. I don't know what that thing. What's that thing called? Griddle. There you go. I just know how to eat. I can eat some bacon. But anyway, man, we gathered up that and coffee stuff and blenders and all the tea maker, all this stuff. And I had a, a church group was there, and the, this guy was helping me, and we walked over there, and she starts telling her story to him. And, man, I looked at him, and, man, you just saw tears coming down his eyes, 14-year-old boy from Mississippi who was with us. And, I, I, you know, huge impression in me, but I'm thinking for the, for the next generation, huge impression for him too. And so thank you for your support and being able to help others and love others. If you have your Bible, say, I do. All right, Luke chapter 15, there's going to be some words. I'm going to read it fast. I'm going to tell a story once, and then we're going to explain the story. Here we go. I tell you, I'm going to tell, let me tell you this first. 
My dad's a preacher, First Baptist Hainesville, Louisiana, and my mom's a teacher. And I grew up, and my dad liked to discipline, and he whooped us. How many of you have been whooped before? There we go. <laughs> Some of you give, gave your kids whoopings before you got here, okay? I've already given my one, one in the parking lot one time before we got here. And I'm 6'9", my brother's 6'5", I've got a sister that's kind of tall too, I'm the youngest. And man, my dad's Victorian all growing up, grew up on a farm. His dad whooped him, they were very disciplined, my dad's a veteran at that. And in order to get his hand around us, man, he whooped us. My mom did too. And there was one time, my mom's school teacher, so if I, if I did it at school then she would find out. But one time I thought it was big stuff, Max, I was 6'6", ninth grade. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but 6'6 six, six and ninth grade. I'm coming around the corner running for my mom. Man, she was mad at me. That hand is swinging. And, man, I reached back, and I caught my mom's hand. That's bad. <laughs> that was bad. That was really bad. And, uh, man, when my dad got home, he gave me three whoopings. The first one was for my mama. He said, this is for your mama. The second one was for him. And the third one, he said, this is put the fear of God in you. Not to do it again. And I remember that day. There's a testimony there. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. My dad always had a compassion on me, just like the father in this story. Stay with me tonight. Verse 11 says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one, everybody say wild. Here we go. Everybody say wild. The younger one, the wild one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, all, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything there, a severe famine in that whole country, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed pigs. Verse 16. He longed to fill the pods, fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have, have food to spare, but here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. Everybody say sinned. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Everybody say compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Everybody say celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25, stay with me. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's now back safe and sound. The older brother, the mild brother, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, 
All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, almost done. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The older brother in this story is the mild brother. The younger brother in this story is the wild brother. And the first brother that I want to talk about tonight is the mild brother. And if you pick up a commentary, the commentary will tell you that the mild brother, that the older brother was a Pharisee, that he was a pitcher of a Pharisee. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why the commentaries would tell you that he's a Pharisee. The first thing is that he was comfortable. He was comfortable. And I want to add this. He was comfortable with the promise. See, the older brother in this time, the older brother would, would, would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. He would gain the greater amount of, of inheritance. The younger brother would receive one-third of the inheritance. So with the, with the younger brother out of the picture, the older brother knows what he's going to inherit. He knows what has been promised to him, and he can think about his life, and he can organize his life, and he can live his life like his younger brother's out of the picture and that he knows what's been promised to him. You say, John, what's this have to do with, with us today? Man, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that we know what's been promised to us as God's children. We know that, man, we give our life to Christ, and, man, and that one day that we're going to have heaven, and we can live in heaven, we can be with Jesus, we can be away from all these problems, and we have become comfortable with the promise. And we forget the reality of where people live today. The news reminds us, but in our relationships with people and how we treat people, how we judge people, how we look at people, in situations just like this weekend, is, 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 we're just comfortable in the promise and we don't want to relate to people who are lost and much more lost than others sometimes. I mean, I want to encourage you to do this. And this is what I've done in my life. I wish I would have been doing it much earlier is I know the promises, but man, I want to experience the presence. I want to experience the presence of God. Every day, man, when I go to work, I've got about 14 minutes as I drive, and I ask God, I pray for my kids, and I ask God, God, I want to experience your presence. God, in somewhere in my day, just show me that you're existing, that you're all-powerful, that, that, that you love me, that you are at work. Give me a chance to minister, a conversation. Somebody comes up to me. Show me a sign. Do whatever. I just want to experience your presence. God, I'm hungry to experience your presence. God's done it. Man, I, I preached, I don't know how many churches in this area. Uh, one church, I was, I was preaching a pretty hard message, and I walked in, and uh, I walked in, and I was like, God, I, as I was going, God, confirm that this is what I'm supposed to preach where I'm at. And the scripture verse on the bulletin said, said teach this, teach this. And it used the verse that I was preaching out of. We were back and forth about buying some land. This sounds crazy. We were back and forth about buying some land to build a house, which we had bought the land. I drove by the land. I saw this sign, Redemption, on it. Redemption has been the theme since we've moved back to Louisiana. I saw the sign, and God said, this land is for you. We go back, we make the calls, we have the land today. 
and the relationships and preaching and after our preaching, the conversations. And over and over and over, God says, man, I'm going to confirm my presence in your life. And, and if we want to be mild, then we just know the presence and we, we, we just know the promises and we get comfortable. And let me tell you, I can sing Beulah Land. When I sing it, I howl it, okay? But I can sing Beulah Land like anybody else, and I love the song. But I want to experience Jesus not just in heaven. I want to experience him now. And I know that I can. When I get in God's word, I know that I can. When I'm around people, Becky, at work, man, I know that I can experience it through, through the college students, through the senior adults, through the people that come in the store. I know that I can, and we all can. We all can. The second thing, a reason he would be called a Pharisee is he had to change. He was comfortable, but now he knows he has to change. Man, I was Baptist nine months before I came into this world. Okay, I'm a preacher, son. Change for Christians is hard. It's really hard. Moving as we've done, it's hard. Changing jobs, changing relationships sometimes, and friends, and on and on. The things that, things that, that God brings in front of you. Sunday school teacher that my wife taught with when we were at Park Hill Baptist in North Little Rock, going through a huge change in her life, diagnosed with brain cancer, brain tumor. Change is hard. But God wants us to experience again his presence as we go through that. Change for church is hard. Man, that, that, when I, when I, every church I served at, man, I was a change agent. I walked in to some of the worst churches. And God brought me there for a purpose. He brought the staff that I was working there for a purpose. I've seen adulteries on staff. Last church I, I came to, there was five adulteries on staff. Six years I was there. They weren't young people either. They were senior adults who were on staff. I've seen emails hacked, computers hacked. I've seen staff members get jealous, post stuff on Facebook against each other. Why did they do all this? Because they were comfortable. They were comfortable. They didn't want to change. And the pressure of church work, of changing the church, was, was so hard that many of them just, just gave up. I've seen churches give up. There's two big, big churches. And churches, they gave up, and I'm not being mean, I'm just going to preach to you for a second. They gave up because some people, and, and typically they were sitting kind of back in that area for whatever reason, two churches of that. We had, to, we, had to, we had to make some, repair some things and do some building stuff and raise some money. I mean, they were back over here, both churches, and they would get up and they would say, man, I've been a member here for so long and we've never had to do this. Man, I'm going to tell you what, God doesn't measure membership in years. He doesn't measure years. He doesn't measure clout. The country club might, but, the, but God doesn't do that with, our, with us and with the church. Man, this is a hospital. God measures us by faith. And I, 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 I die for the day that when a special business meeting is called, that there's a godly man, a godly woman that stands up and they say, man, God, thank you for the vision that this staff has. Thank you. Because, man, our churches need vision and our churches need change. Now, thank you that Temple is doing that. Thank you. We visit every church in town. Man, I knew that this is where God has us for what you're doing and how you're ministering to people and how you're going. 
Man, let's face it, there's some things that excite our Heavenly Father that don't excite us because of the risk and the commitment. And you talk about witnessing, and, and we use the T word, tithing, okay? Man, John, we go on mission trips, and dude, being on a being on an airplane for like 20 hours for a 6'9 guy, man, that is, that's like Halloween scary, okay? Man, I was five hours going to Houston, the Astros game, and I thought I was going to fold up and die, you know? But there's things that excite God, and, and when we're experiencing the presence of God, when we walk away from the mild life, man, we see, and they, they will begin to excite us. Man, our life in the sanctification process is we're always changing, and no matter what age, is there's another challenge and there's something else to do. My grandmother at 88 was leading people to the Lord in a nursing home, okay? As it never stops, it never stops as we grow. And here it is, the older brother did not have his father's heart of compassion. He didn't have his father's heart for compassion because it's this, it's a lot easier to judge than it is to forgive. A lot easier. And if ministry of 13 years, and I dealt with it all, car wrecks, kids died of leukemia, had one shot, got one in prison, dealt with it all. Homosexuality, dealt a lot with it in central Arkansas. And if it's taught me anything, is this, is you build a relationship with that person and you walk a mile with them. You do exactly what the Bible says. You walk a mile and you build that relationship. And guess what happens in mile two? Is the scenery changes. Scenery changes. And you see Jesus there at the end of mile two. And sometimes it takes a long time to get to mile two. It takes a long time. But the scenery changes. And as you walked with them, Man, if you've ever been in a place where you felt like you could live without a serious commitment to God, then that's a mild life. Man, the solution to mild life is found in Psalms 27, 8. It says, my heart says to you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalms 27, 8. My heart says to you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. And when we constantly focus on God's presence and seeking his face, is there will be a part in our life that we want God's glory to be paramount no matter if you're in the business or, or you're in the ministry, because I'm in both, that you want God's glory to be paramount in your life and in what you do, and it doesn't matter what you have to experience. Because at, at some point in your life, God's going to tap you on the shoulder, and he's going to say, man, this is yours. Man, this lost person you've worked with for 10 years, man, that is yours. And I want you to pray with them. I want you to love them. I want you to go to their kids' ball game. And watch and see how I work. And he will work. He will work. The older brother fought, sought his father's hand and not his father's heart. The wild brother, and this will be quick, so stay with me. The wild brother. His father never let go. His father never let go. I can't tell you how many times I've walked when I was working at a church, I'd walk up the pews and senior adults would grab me. They'd say, will you pray for my grandchild, sometimes grandchildren? said, I raised their mom and dad to be in church and they know better. They know that they ought to be in church. But will you pray for them? And listen to this, every time, every single time, they did with tears come down their cheeks. They want their kids to come home. They want their kids to come home. Several years ago, there was a lady, her name was Becky. And Becky was managing our finances. 
and uh, uh, Becky knew that I was a minister. We, we, we became pretty close naturally, uh, just with her dealing with, with money and retirement and all those different things. Sent across from Becky, and one day she says, John, can I tell you something? When, when a minister hears that, he just doesn't know what to, what to think. And I, I, I said, sure, Becky, what is it that you'd like to tell me? Becky was in her upper 50s. She said, she said, John, my husband Bobby, and I knew Bobby. And Bobby worked for her kind of part-time. But her, Bobby's full-time job, he was a cable man. He would install cable to people's houses. And she said, John, Bobby, Bobby's lost his job. Bobby lost his job because he was going, he was installing cable. He was going back to his truck. He had a small TV in his truck. And I don't know how you do this, but maybe somebody does. He was running a line up to a cable box. And he's watching pornography in his truck. And she said, John, Bobby came clean with me that he's been doing this for years. But he got caught, lost his job. She said, John, I could leave Bobby. I could leave him. And if I left him, he wouldn't have anything. Wouldn't have anything. But she said, Bobby, she said, John, I just really believe that I'm supposed to stay with Bobby. And that I'm supposed to be kind to him and allow the love that I have for him to begin to change and to begin to mold his heart. What a testimony about seeing somebody come home and seeing somebody come back. Man, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Listen to this, Romans 8, 38 through 39 say this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the, from the love of God. Not homosexuality, not embezzlement that I've seen in several churches, not divorce, not adultery, not pornography. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Verses 18 and 21, I'm going to go through a few verses pretty fast. Verses 18 and 21, they both say this, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Listen to me, man. In your life, if you've been living a wild or a mild life, and you've been spending time away from God, and sin has your attention, listen to me, man, it affects everybody of every age. Whether you're poor or whether you have money or you're rich, it affects everybody. Man, if you've spent time away from God, man, the Scripture tells us we come back and we say, God, I've sinned. God, I've sinned, and I repent. And we also go to those who we've affected, and we tell them, too, that, that, that we have sinned. That sin grieved his father's heart. There's, there's a verse in both of those, in 18, excuse me, there's a word in both of those verses that's very important. It says worthy. It says worthy. I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Man, a lot of people, listen, we've got to understand this, and Southern Baptist Convention is doing a lot better than they used to. A lot of people deal with depression. A lot of people deal with depression. And, and there's so many people, listen to me, so many people that are hurt. I mean, everybody has baggage, okay? Everybody. Divorce, abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Everybody's dealing with that. And it's easy to feel like that we're not worthy. A man came to the store. He dropped off. Uh, he, he had a, a Ford F-150, his crew cab. Inside the truck was full, the, cat, the, uh, the, back, the cargo area was full, and the trailer was full. 
And when somebody comes in with that much stuff, a lot of times I just have curiosity where it's coming from, and it was nice stuff. It came around the side, and we kind of chatted for a second. I said, hey, where's all this coming from? Listen to me, teenagers. He said, my granddaughter committed suicide May 7th. Said she was bullied and bullied and bullied, and she couldn't take it anymore. Said there's other kids, I think he said around five other kids in the same school that had done the same thing. She's 13 years old. And that's what the devil wants to do too. But we can't escape the love of our Heavenly Father. Verse 24 says this, and I'm almost finished. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he was found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. That's repeated again in verse 32. He's dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Let me tell you a, let me tell you a personal story. And it's, it's, very, it's very recent. I've got a family member two and a half years ago. I know it's two and a half years ago, but it's recent still because it's ongoing. Two and a half years ago, uh, he was arrested as part of armed robbery. There were four of them. And they were robbing different places in Shreveport. If you watched the news, you probably saw them. One of, one of those guys was a family member of ours. They robbed an outback. They came out and Bozier, Shreveport, Federal, uh, police, what, everybody. I mean, they were the poster kids to get arrested for this. And so anyway, man, he, he goes in, and uh, for three years prior to that, uh, been on drugs, goes in, and uh, immediately he begins to dry up because he's not getting the drugs. He goes to solitary confinement, or they have to put him there so that he can just dry up, get the drugs out of his system and everything. So he does that. He's in Bozier. Uh, he was in Bozier Caddo Correctional Center. He was there for about two years. Court case went through. And it, it, they gave him prison. They gave him prison for life. Around, I think around 130, might be 180 years, but basically life in a federal prison because it happened in two different states. Went to Pollock Prison north of Alexandria. Very violent prison. About a second night there, who, uh, a guy that was underneath his cell, he was on one floor, the, another guy that was underneath was murdered. The whole prison just cheered. Just cheered. This is a family member got to see him, got to talk to him, emailed back and forth. He said, man, it's worse than hell. He said, you can't believe it. Cattle Correctional Center, man, it was like heaven in compared to federal prison. The gangs, the type of language that you have to pick up, you have to sleep with your shoes on because you might have to fight. At some point, there's going to be a fight that takes place. And sure enough, as he was in Pollock, a guy uh, who he thought was, I don't want to say friends, but it may be acquaintances, put his hand out and he's going to shake his hand and he caught one right here he goes down other guys jump on top of him the fight breaks out he gets solitary confinement for three months if I could back up a second the same guy accepted Christ as Lord and Savior when he was in Caddo Correctional Center so he's trying to follow the Lord trying to follow the Lord gets out of solitary confinement transferred to Oklahoma federal transfer system goes to Virginia he's in Virginia now as he was in Virginia, as, as he's on the bus, uh, people in prison, they know who's coming. And so everybody knew that this bus was full of pedophiles. And what they do to pedophiles in prison is what he's told us is they stomp them out. They beat them up. 
He gets off the bus. He walks in. The cellmate asks him, he said, who's a skinhead, he said, said, are you from North Carolina? He said, no, I'm from Louisiana. He said, he said well, well, good. Because the guy, the guy supposed to be in here from North Carolina, and he was a pedophile. I was supposed to beat him up. I'm telling you what, it's tough. The conversation, the emails, he looks just like us. Could he be rehabbed? Absolutely. He's in prison for life. I'll tell you the tough part. The tough part is when his dad visits him. His dad visits him, he stays together. His dad walks away, he weeps. His dad talks to him over the phone. It's okay when he hangs up the phone, he weeps. The father longed for his son to come home. His grandparents and his parents in this room, you know, the same situation. They're free. But you long for them to come home. You long for them to come home. It's one of the greatest things about Hostin is he accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And so he very well be more, may be more free than some of us in this room. Now, he'll be in prison for life. But he's got Jesus. He's got Jesus to protect him. Man, in our world, listen to me. We need people to go and to find people who don't know Jesus and to bring them home. To bring them home. We've been living on a promise. We need to start living in the presence. Say, God, take me to these people who don't know you. I can love them. I can bring them home to you. Because the, the Father in this story is Jesus. And his arms are wide open for his children to come home. I'm going to pray for you in a second. You bow your head and you close your eyes. I'll tell you this, if you're with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you have a family member who, who, who is wild, maybe hadn't made the steps of, of being in prison, but you long for them to come home, I'm going to ask you to do this. Let's just be real honest. I'm all about being honest in church. Let's be real honest. If you lift your hand, I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to pray for you in a second. If you have a family member, a son, maybe it's a cousin, anybody else? Gracious. Gracious, we ought to be on our knees. We'll be on our knees. We've got a beautiful church. We've got amazing staff. We've got a community that needs Jesus. We've got family members who need Jesus. Oh, get in the presence, get in the Word. John Locke said, give me Scotland or die. I'm telling you, man, our hearts ought to say, give me my family, give me my community, give me Ruston or die, whatever it takes. Oh, God will use you and he'll use this church. He'll use this church. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who are honest tonight. God, whose hearts are literally broken in pieces over a family member maybe a friend who's chosen the wild life, who probably even knows better. God, will you send a Christian their way in their circumstances? God, will, the, will your Holy Spirit, God, speak to them and change their heart? God, only you can change their heart and save their life. God, will, will, that they can come to the open arms 
of a compassionate, forgiving Jesus. God, I pray for him. I pray for him, God. God, will you use us? So much going for us. God, let us not be, be high people above the commission. But God, let us be part of the commission and follow you and love and see lives change and people come to you, God, so that we can celebrate that the lost have been found. Bless this invitation tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.